0: hey y'all welcome back part two here on a wednesday wednesday july 6 2022 edition here on the chase Thomas podcast where i'm still the aforementioned chase thomas coming to you live from knoxville tennessee as we wrap up here on a wednesday here on the blue wire pod network thank you for making the chase Thomas podcast part of your daily listen wherever and however that may be i greatly appreciate it as we wrap up here van grass john taylor Uh, to talk all things major league baseball Uh, why major league baseball does not just do more for july 4th and why they don't just dominate that day we get into that Uh, we get into the giants who are two games over 500 and what they'll do at the deadline Uh, the white Sox, who continue to just have a really really rough season and what their options are over the next couple weeks as they are a couple games under 500, um, The Rangers, and a crazy Ranger stat with Mr. Dunning and uh, why they're still in the wildcard chase um, as we get into the, the heart of the summer here. And then the Mets, big July that lies in front of them and all the upcoming games against the Braves that is on the docket over the next month or so. So, John Taylor, uh, to talk all those things with me on the Chase Most Podcast. Don't forget, you can watch this program on youtube as well if you don't want to just listen to it you r- rather watch it guess what we got you covered over on the youtube channel youtube.com slash chase thomas podcast like and subscribe today that would be great uh tweet at me chase double underscore thomas like the facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer and of course headquarters chase thomas podcast.com all my sports writing sports renaissance man, .substack.com. Uh, type in your email and become a subscriber over there today but there you go uh part two as we wrap up here on a wednesday thank you as always and uh uncle darren let's go chase thomas pod the chase thomas podcast (laughs) um my nephew needs me to record see i hate i already hate it i hate it all right welcome back to another episode of the chase thomas podcast where it is a tuesday afternoon late afternoon on a tuesday here on the chase almost podcast john taylor fangrafts.com is here at this time as he is every single week but he's back on video on com slash chase podcast john good evening sir how are you i'm doing good how are you i am doing just okay sir just okay how was the how was the wedding stuff did you bounce back immediately how are you feeling today
1: pretty uh <laughs> Yeah, when you pair a wedding with the Fourth of July and just the general kind of mayhem of that, you like you're just asking for like the first. I mean, I guess we were like that. You know, the Fourth was a Monday, so we, you know we all got that extra that we all got that day off. But even mm-hmm. still, uh, second Monday, I, I guess that is Tuesday. I'm, I'm I'm dragging pretty hard, but yeah, still here, still gonna still gonna gut it out. Gonna take a huge nap later, or just buy huge nap. I mean, like go to sleep. I guess it's already. Sick see, it's morning. a little late for a nap, John. Yeah. it's uh, it's never too late for a nap you just have to time it properly are you a napper by trade i love love napping love naps big nap Hmm.
0: okay does the the significant other like naps yes interesting because my fiance big napper but Mm -hmm. i cannot nap like i hate napping i've never napped as a baby can't do it i'm once i'm up i'm up for the rest of the day that's it when i go to bed that's it
1: that's really imp- I mean, I, I most I mean, there, there are there's some days where I can get through without a nap. And like there's like yesterday, for example, I don't think I, I, I napped at all. But um, if I have the opportunity, the means, the availability, all that stuff, I'll nap. I'll happily nap. I will always nap if I can.
0: How long are we talking here for a nap?
1: Ooh, I mean, usually, you know, like usually you don't want to aim for longer than an hour because then your sleep rhythms get all screwed up. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I'll go down like for three hours at a time. Just, you know i just got a an empty late afternoon and i could you know i'm really dragging mm-hmm. that's a good one are you or doing a week before a weekend nap oh i don't drink coffee
0: that's right so no it's caffeine. probably part of
1: why, it's probably part of why I nap um yeah I, I i'm really getting drink. to the bottom of this here the only caffeine i drink is the occasional soda um, okay but I'm, I'm not a i'm not a coffee drinker are you a fireworks guy you know i i like the visual spectacle it's mm-hmm i don't love the big noise i really am not a loud noises guy and the other part of it is as you know having been a dog owner like they despise the fireworks so much that it's hard not to like you know be on their side essentially forward and be like go to hell fireworks like stop this like my dog Mm -hmm. is freaking out please don't do this anymore um but yeah it's I like I like the visuals at least. I like seeing all the big whiz bang explosions. I just don't like hearing them, and I don't like what they do to dogs. Plus, I also like the 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 regulated slash planned fireworks show. You know that your local you know, your town or city or whatever does. Mm. You know, where it's all proper pro- professional fireworks, and they're all pretty. That's great. The ones that you're like people in your neighborhood are setting off, just constantly. You know, the loud ones that are that don't even you can't see anything, but it's just constant explosions very much not fun Mm -hmm. yeah so i agree with you yeah so i'm i am occasionally a fireworks fan i'm
0: not at all i won't lie i've never really seen the the (laughs) it's just weird yeah i just i've never never been that guy but it's weird because i'm a huge lights guy like christmas Mm -hmm. and halloween time go see some cool lights yeah i'm down let's go see some lights love having lights around the house Yeah, like There's different of kinds lights. of cool lights. I have a bunch of lights in here that I love. But in terms of maybe it's the sounds, I don't know, the TMJ and tinnitus uh, from the pod and uh, the choices that I've made in my life, mm. John, where I don't know, loud noises. It's just not for
1: me. Crowds, loud noises. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it really is just a lot of the loud noise, just the explosion. I just don't love explosions. I don't like yeah. the sound. I don't think anyone likes explosions, but yeah. I
0: it's, think there are people that like explosions, John. I think there are a lot of people built for that. You're There's building. a lot of dudes out there listening right now, dude. They, dude yeah, they're,
1: all going, they're all just going like rip to YouTube, but, but I'm built different.
0: Yes. Yes. We just don't have that dog in us, John. Um, Literally, uh, because
1: I, I'm I, I'm glad we don't because that dog would be scared shitless by the fireworks.
0: I like that. he brought it all together. Um, we're not going to do a national pastime today. I wanted to pick your brain about a different like this has to do with the national pastime, but it was something that I saw um, today, it was a tweet that went viral. I don't know if you saw it from Joe Rivera, a Sporting News uh, Major League Baseball writer, who mentioned that basically the NBA they've dot, they own Christmas, um, mm-hmm. the NHL owns New Year's, mm-hmm. the uh, NFL owns Thanksgiving. Why does Major League Baseball not own July Fourth? And that was something I I hadn't really considered because it was like one of those things that was just kind of forgotten about. I mean, the Braves went on for nineteen hours with the weather delay and two girls got tackled uh, like one o'clock in the morning by security for running on the field. Uh, They didn't make it very far. It was not a, it was not a long one, but that game kept going, going. But what uh, his point was, which is that like 28 of 30 teams played. So not even all baseball, but like, is there an opportunity? And I guess my thing is the difference between the July 4th holiday and uh, New Year's and Christmas and Thanksgiving is a it's colder so people are inside and not doing stuff and b like i just i i think there is a different kind of tradition where it's like families just together and you're watching stuff like the TV's is just around and i think people want to be outside on the forest so i get what he's saying and i get why a lot of people feel that way is like the major league baseball should own some sort of holiday But I think July 4th is actually kind of more complicated than it sounds because you're like, yeah, that makes sense. Like America's pastime, they should just own July 4th and make it a big day, put on some big games, do some kind of special event, like um, do something like not. You don't have to do the Field of Dreams type thing. but do something cool, cool venue or something like really, really max it out. Mm -hmm. But I do understand that like it there, it's just a little different because people want to be on the lake. They want to be at the beach. They want to be out and about and grilling out. I mean, I don't know. Uh, what, what do you
1: think? No, I, th- I think you're exactly right. I think the biggest obstacle for MLB making July 4th the kind of the, the day for baseball, that the same way that Christmas is for the NBA or, or, or Thanksgiving is for the NFL is just exactly what you said. People are outside on the 4th of July, mm-hmm. you know, unless the bad unless the weather is bad. They're outside because it's a it's middle of the summer. It's a day off for everybody. Um it's a time to be, you know, fireworks obviously are a thing that has to happen outside. Grilling is something that has to happen outside. Going to the beach, going to a pool, like the things you would normally do with the summer day. It's like, <clears throat> excuse me, those are all things you do outside. Mm. So MLB is kind of hamstrung in that regard. The The second part is, like you said, an extension of that. If you're outside, the TV is not really a part of what you're doing. Like you're going to mm-hmm. gather around the TV. And that's the thing about there's a lot of and I think people forget this. There's a lot of dead time on Christmas, on Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. on especially on on New Year's both Eve and day. Like there, Christmas itself. Like if you're like if you're doing a traditional Christmas, you're just unwrapping presents at the morning, and maybe you have a dinner or something. There's not a whole lot to do during the day because everything is closed. You know, mm. some folks go to a movie, some folks go out to you know get Chinese food or, or whatever happens to still be open. But there's not there aren't really a lot of competing, or maybe you know there are a lot of a lot of really competing options for your entertainment same with thanksgiving it's everything is closed everyone is inside waiting for a meal to happen boom so you're just going to have the game on because your relatives need something to do you know while we're passing the time waiting for turkey or afterwards Mm -hmm. when we're all food comatose not really the case for for the fourth of july i mean i think you can make the argument that if mlb wanted to kind of own the fourth of july they would have it be that basically every team played that game played that day at one yeah early afternoon game for everybody who's at home so fans can all get because because since that is a day off and really, you know, fireworks wise, most fireworks don't happen until the end of the night slash the, right. the evening because it's too light out. There's plenty to do during the day. I mean, for those folks who maybe don't want or at least give the option, folks who don't want to go to the beach, don't aren't going to go to a pool, who don't have plans for all day grilling or whatever. I, I think that would be maybe functional i mean i'm sure i mean i don't know what the gates are like for those games i don't know how teams do in terms of attendance on the fourth of mm. july relative to like your other average summer day i do it must think do it,
0: well because the A's had like 26k in yesterday yeah the and HiAC i think
1: uh, defector ray Rado wrote about that a defector it's like pretty much everyone's there for the fireworks which yeah. is another thing too it's like then the, every team gets to do a guaranteed fireworks thing although i guess maybe if they start the game at four or something instead mm. of uh, instead of one but you know I would like to. I think that'd be nice uh, like similar to Memorial Day where it's like let's just have every team playing on the during the day and the afternoon you know let's mm-hmm. let's get some early day baseball and then we'll, we'll move on from there but I I don't think it's really possible for MLB to have that kind of kind of uh, dedicated like yeah this is our big TV marathon day. It, mm-hmm. I mean I'm sure you could program a marathon of baseball if you are say actually who carries baseball games nowadays during the week I guess that's the other thing it's like who are you asking to do that? Fox, ESPN, yeah, it'd be Fox, right? Like, I I don't know who even would TBS. have. Yeah, who would want to put together like a the same like you know the NBA has like their their Christmas quadruple. Yeah, header, you know, I don't I think really they bounce mean, around on different channels. So. Yeah, I don't
0: really know. You, I guess would you would have to, have to that put like one on Apple TV, one on Peacock, one yeah, on, and yeah. That,
1: and that's I I mean that's pro- like difficult enough on its own, but I, I just don't know if baseball really has the ability to do that either in terms of the audience or the carrier. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, again, it's a missed opportunity for it, it. Like so many things for baseball, it's a missed opportunity, but one that they also don't really have a lot of ability to do anything about, you know, it's, yeah. it's, uh, could there be more done? Sure. I would love, to, I would love to see every team play on July 4th. I would love to mm. see a bunch of day afternoon baseball on July 4th to take advantage of the holiday and, you know, really, you know, try to pack in as many people as you can, especially kids, you know, kids have the day off from school and they're most, yeah. almost all done with school by this point. If not, all of them are done with school um you know see if you can assemble some kind of quadruple header on some channel or another you know but it, it's it is true though like you're you're never gonna have that same cachet of like fourth of july equals baseball day like yeah. i think most people associate it with baseball anyway because it is the only sport uh still going at that time for wow shots to fired
0: at the major league soccer
1: uh, league. <laughs> all right shots fired against live golf mm-hmm. but on the other hand like i you know i i I I do think it probably is possible for MLB to do a little more in that regard to kind of brand the day as like baseball, 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 like, you know, watch baseball while you're, it's easy. I think even something that's like while you're at a, you know, while you're at a grill or or, or while you're at a party, pull it up on your phone. Like, you mm. know, because you know, I think it's also easier for people to do that now. These aren't the old days when you, you know, there's no way to lug a TV all the way outside. It's like, no, you just need a, a tablet or a. Some kind of screen and projector, you know, a phone. If if you want to jump on the radio, you can jump on the radio. I would, I would actually love to go to a Fourth of July party where there's just a game on the radio. Yeah, that's what um, I was thinking
0: too. Where it's not taking away, and people are just staring at the TV for three hours,
1: three and, and half hours. You just have it on the background. there's yeah, that's, nothing that's, more that's, soothing than that. And that's what's great about baseball. It is a perfect summer background sport. You know, yeah. it's the summer background sport. Um, and I'm sure there are people who already do that, who will just have the game on or will make a point of going to whatever game they had. I mean, I do find it weird that, like, not every team plays. I understand it's a Monday. Yeah. Mondays are a typical or, or, or traditional rest day for a lot of teams. But, like, the fact that the Yankees don't play on the 4th of July, it just doesn't really make any sense to me. Yeah. You know? I mean, that, I guess it's just a quirk of the schedule this year, but...
0: You know, that's yeah, if you like if, look at like the yeah, but, people, it's like, hey, we should probably make sure the Yankees are playing at home during the day yeah, on or, July 4th. Or,
1: you know, I think it's also easier to and, and this is another um, point in the other leagues favor. It's a lot easier for them to schedule marquee matchups like the NBA makes a point of being like whatever the rest of the schedule is. Christmas is we're going to have, you know, we're going to have like a or Lakers Warriors or we're going to yeah. have Celtic Sixers or we're going to have uh, Heat. Uh, bucks or you know mm-hmm. we're gonna pick the best teams and we're gonna make them play each other baseball can't really do that unless they make a point of saying okay arrange the schedule however you want however make sure that the 4th of July has in advance teams we think will be like it's, it's just it's complicated to do that especially with all the travel and the fact that it is such a long season so I mean I guess it's the other thing it's like it, it might be kind of hard to build marquee out of like Yankees Tigers you know or, or Braves uh, Diamondbacks if that's what it happens to be but on the other hand, again, it's – this. I don't think – Well, maybe that's don't how even you fix
0: if, it is you don't put everybody on. You just – you kind of guesstimate who you think are going to be the best teams. Like, I mean, think a, about it. Before good, this year – we have an yeah. idea of who's going to be good. Like you can usually not bet wrong on the Rays, the Yankees, the
1: Braves. I mean, there's teams yeah. like no, no I mean, one. Yeah, th- you yeah. can you can you can definitely say, like, OK, we, we know we weren't, we're we going to want the Dodgers and the Padres and the Red Sox and yeah. the Cubs or, or whoever it is we want. Uh, yeah, I guess you could treat it like the day before the return from the All-Star break when you ideally just like, OK, we're only going to have a few marquee games featured. Mm-hmm. You know, but I guess that's the thing. It's like if you're doing that, then you're chasing TV money and TV viewership over actual in-person attendance. And yeah. you're chasing TV viewership on a day when most people are not in front of a TV. You know, you're and I, I get it. That, that's just why it works best for the NBA and the NFL. They know yeah. they have a captive TV audience that day. You know, there's no other sport that they're going to tune into and watch on that particular day. I I mean, I guess it depends if Christmas falls on like a sat on like a Sunday and then there'd be NFL games, too. But I don't. Yeah. Well, I don't actually, I don't know exactly if that would work, but either way, it's like baseball doesn't just, just doesn't have that ability. I think the, the, probably the better would just be let's try to make sure everyone plays on the 4th of July. Let's try to make sure everyone plays during the day so folks can get out and enjoy a nice day at the ballpark. Mm-hmm. Um, and then maybe the mark, maybe you get a few marquee games on at like prime time and then you get the, so you get the fireworks for those. It just depends on where you're doing it too. So,
0: and bring it back every legend you can possibly find, like yes. every every legend you can possibly find. Bring them out, like bobbleheads. Make it a bobblehead night. Yeah, I think
1: I, I think it'd just be something where it's like it's more about the, the teams themselves, kind of making the day big and special beyond just like yeah. here's some horrible looking hat with a stupid <laughs> flag design. Those were not good they're never good the so i saw some tweet today that was like what's the best uh event-centric design mlb has had for its hats and uniforms the answer is none of them i
0: was gonna say they've all been bad they're all bad
1: they're always bad the father's day ones the mother's day ones memorial day fourth of july like do you know who bad. they need to consult with for the hat stuff
0: it's the world baseball classic like all those hats are bangers i don't yeah. know if you've like every world baseball classic hat is a banger i used to own two or three of them like it bangers all
1: across the board i just board. i just think that like the fourth of july just doesn't need a hat you that's know it's true. like what is what does it accomplish the the if you want to have a fourth of july thematic hat then you're pretty much obliged to have some kind of like stars and stripes or america theme for it yeah and those always just look garish and silly
0: the only one that like, looks good that just... there was a braves one like 10 12 years ago that was just like the normal hat but it had like the stars and stripe in the a so it was super can, subtle
1: like I that kind of subtle think... looks okay That's the thing. I think MLB would probably be best, just like having that be the permanent Fourth of July hat. Is like Mm. it's the normal hat, but the logo is has stars and stripes or whatever, or something. Or you put little stars around the. I don't know, something like that. But for the most part, when they try to get like clever with like the oh the camo slash, Uh. it's like it just looks awful, man. It it looks like something you'd find at a gas station.
0: Shout out to Craig Calcaterra though. He uh, did you read his newsletter today?
1: I do. I'm a, I'm a regular cup of
0: coffee subscriber. Same. I, it's a delight. It's how I start uh, every baseball morning with uh my cup of coffee. That pardon the pun, but no, Craig's great and great writer. And um he uh he he had a picture of one of the players cuz a reader sent in a screenshot. Oh, Garrett Hill,
1: yeah, from yes. Tigers. <laughs> and he really does look like Craig a little yeah. bit. I mean, as Craig pointed out, like bald guy with spectacles, like And big a- hat and a, hat. Like, that's yeah. kind of his thing so it's, it's just you know but yeah it's like those but those hats look so stupid they
0: don't look good
1: they don't look good none of none of the hats they do ever look good i think the simplest thing would just be just a small color change like the father's day hats you know if you want to keep that blue thing just the blue logo you're fine mother's day pink logo memorial day honestly don't do a memorial day hat that's just weird i find memorial yeah. day branding to be the strangest thing you know it's a yeah. holiday for about fallen soldiers yeah like I, it's just so strange to me that there would be something associated with that beyond just like okay moment of silence and we're onward like it's yeah you know not, not like not to say commercializing
0: that, like, it you know, is that's
1: just... a, that thank you that's the way i put it. it's commercializing oh. memorial day and being like let's sell some hats it's like that's really weird like i find it weird enough that they're you know you, you have the the fourth of july branded hats or whatever but yeah. I, I can at least understand that that's a holiday like i don't know but i i there probably is more that the the that MLB teams could do with 4th of July. If anything, I think it's a a great day probably for minor league teams. Hmm. uh, because You can have all the crazy like the hot dog eating contest the like, you know, uh, dress up as a founding father or whatever. Bring your gun to the ballpark, Hmm. uh, you know, celebrate your right as an American to commit mass murder. Like, yeah, there are. Yeah, I I think baseball is a little a little boxed in by some of the realities of the day. But it also just doesn't feel like they make much of an effort beyond. We're going to wear some different hats.
0: People you know, get but, really defensive about the hot dog thing, where because uh, people were making jokes, it's like only in America this could be this focus and this like uh, this gorging themselves with a bunch of hot dogs and competitive eating. That's something so uniquely American. And other people are like, "Hey, enjoy things. This is all great." And I'm like, do people really have strong takes on this? I mean, mean yeah. you know, on the one objectively, yes. Yeah pretty weird that we have and it this. like i and think it it's an f- objectively weird thing and if you had to explain this to most other uh people of other countries and other cultures they're like that seems not not even just gluttonous just like it's wasteful yeah it's like it just that,
1: i mean i think it's obs- it's obscene in like a really like visceral way but on the other right. hand like not to try to defend our our national pastime <laughs> of shoving encased meat into our face yeah But it's not like that's the focus of the fourth of july yeah it just happens to be that one particularly ambitious hot dog company yeah. was like hey and competitor and yeah so and then, that's and, won, like, and, one like and, yeah, and, yeah. that, and that's the other thing it's like they've also benefited from the fact that in the time that they've done this they first had uh what's his name the japanese dude who uh He
0: had the blonde highlighted
1: hair. Yeah, I forget. I've forgotten his name now because he got banned from the competition. And then Joey Chestnut, who is yeah, he there was some. uh, If I can remember his name, I'd say look up his whole story. It's it's an absolute uh, drama. And then they lucked into Joey Chestnut, human vacuum cleaner. (laughs)
0: Uh, I wonder if he eats hot dogs at any point uh, the rest of the year. Like, there's no way, right? Takaru Kobayashi. That's his name. Kobayashi. Yes. Okay. How long ago was that?
1: Well, that's that's he's been banned from that for a few years now, at least like <sighs> five or six. It, it's been a while. Like, and chess one won the last like dozen or whatever it is. Right. The dude is a completely unstoppable eating machine.
0: It's a it's a weird thing. I just it's think it's one of those weird. where if you're going online, you're like, hey, Lee, that's a, it's awesome. It's awesome that we did. It's like, all right, that that's that's yeah, what I don't know about that. Yeah. Um The Giants, speaking of things I don't know about other than the Giants are speaking I of a scene. Thing- <laughs> Well, I was thinking about this today, John, is it's kind of like they kind of remind me now because they've kind of fallen in this camp a little bit anyway, where they hired all these great coaches. They have the right GM now. They're playing kind of like they're a gigantic market, but they're still kind of relying on some money ball, uh, very, very forward thinking approach where it's like we're going to we're not going to tear down altogether, but we're going to find high value guys. And we're going to turn them into useful, useful guys because of Andrew Bailey, because of our coaching staff, because of our pitching staff and pitching coaches that like, mm-hmm. we'll keep finding the diamonds in the rough and we'll keep this thing moving while we figure it out. And we'll, we'll take bites of the apple and we'll see what Chris Bryant's into. We'll see uh, if we can figure out a way to get us back and to really compete with the daughters year and year out. But when you play that game, it's like, well, there's a reason that De Scalfani and Galsman and guys like that were not signed to long term contracts and were not just aces for years over years that teams did not want to part with. Is that like you were still, you got a lot out of your coaching and it was a, everything worked out well for San Francisco last year. There was a reason okay. that you and I, we didn't see last season coming from San Francisco. Okay. And yeah, and it kind of reminds me of the Rays, where the Rays are having this season from hell in the AL where there's still a couple games over 500. The Giants, I think, as of this recording, are two games over 500. Still in the wildcard chase, still could very much make the playoffs. But they're just not lucky this year. And it's part of when you live on the margins, even when you're an extremely efficient, extremely smart team, Mm -hmm. you're going to get burned sometimes. You're going to have a Descalfani who goes out for a long time. You're going to have a scenario where you know, the catcher doesn't work out who you thought was going to work out and replace Buster Posey. We were like, that's just going to be fine. We have our num- first rounder. We have the heir apparent right here. It's fine. And then it's not. And then suddenly you're like, well, we're in some trouble and we don't really have an avenue to get out until next season where we can start over and we can replenish uh the margins and we can figure it out. Like, yeah. I don't know. I think the Giants are in a weird situation. <laughs> They've lost five straight. Um, things are not going well. Obviously, like part of it too is that the Padres had the season from hell last year, and hey, they have figured out, and they have done it without Tatis, which is even scarier. Like Tatis has yeah. not been involved in any of this to this point. So once he comes back, then you're just looking at a situation where there's just no path to the Giants really getting back on track and really competing in the NL playoffs, but. I don't know. Is that a fair characterization? That's just something I've been thinking about. It's just how they were kind of remind me of the Rays this year and where they're at as a franchise. I,
1: I think that's fair in the, say, in the vein, too, that both of those teams did not make large-scale offseason changes and for the most part have just kind of run it back with who they have. Yes. I mean, it, to stick with the Giants, like obviously they added Carlos Rodon, who's been great for them. Mm-hmm. They added Jock Peterson, who's been probably their best hitter so far. And that's made a huge difference. But otherwise, the rest of that roster wasn't much touched, you know. Mm. It's not like Rodon was added to that rotation. He was there replacing Kevin Gaussman, you know, because Mm. I – I obviously don't have access to the front office or the numbers but it it did feel like it was an either or not a both situation Mm -hmm. and i i think like you said like there's a reason we didn't really see this coming that this team had the makings of something good but certainly not 107 wins right and that you know maybe this is just something closer to what we should have expected from that giants team minus Mm -hmm. of course uh buster posey and also dealing with the fact yeah they have had some injury issues they've had some underperformance you know they've de barely pitched this year pitched poorly when he did and he's now going to miss the rest of the year alex wood has been worse than he was last year the bullpen has been on the whole worse than it was last year mm. brandon belt has been worse than he was last year brandon crawford has been worse than he was last year um obviously uh joey bart given the the bulk of the playing time with posey retired was very bad and to the point he got sent down he's back now because kurt casali is hurt the catcher has been a real problem for the for the giants as well you know they're uh they've run into issues where Tommy La Stella's injury has basically kept them from being able to play the field so they've had to go with a lot of pretty stopgap measures at second base especially defensively haven't worked and I think that that too is worth noting that the Giants defensively last year they finished sixth in the majors in defensive efficiency uh which is basically just a measure of how efficiently you turn batted balls into outs uh this year they are 29th hmm. you know that's that I think is does a lot and it's it's amazing too because that is more or less with the same cast yeah you know, with the exception of a couple, what changes, do you think? The, you know, what do you think changed? That's the thing. I don't know if anything necessarily did change, or if it's just the fact that we're dealing with a core that continues to get older. You know, Crawford, mm-hmm. Belt, Longoria, um, the rest. Most of those guys are already, you know, in their, especially the in, around the infield, are already in their thirties. Crawford, yeah. Um, or or anything beyond that, or maybe just the fact that, like I said, you know, when you have uh, a second baseman in Listella who really just cannot play you just end up in a position where you're putting worse guys at the position, you know, similarly with kind of the, the revolving doors that they've got going in the outfield uh, that could be a part of it as well. But, you know, I I think this is just something that, you know, when you do run a roster back like that, you do, you do just have to be ready for the fact that, Hey, this could, you know, maybe this was just something that worked last year because of a particular combination and alchemy, you know, for as much as we can point to a bunch of different numbers and stats, and this player is here and this player is not there. Some of mm-hmm. it really is just a combination of dumb luck and injury luck. I remember yeah. the one that always stood out to me is the year the Rays uh, made the world series for the first time in 2008, they basically had every single member of the projected starting rotation pitch the entire season without injury. That's really rare. You know, that's, that's not something that happens. And I don't know if that was the case with the giants last year, but mm-hmm. it certainly does feel like injury wise, they've had to deal with it a little more and it's affected them in ways. I think that is probably harder for them to kind of get around, especially you know, Brandon Crawford is not the be-all, end-all of this Giants team. But mm-hmm. without him there, that infield defense really, really does seem to struggle. You know, in the, you're putting a worse defender at short. You have a bad defender at second. You have a bulky uh, belt at first. You have Longoria, who is, you know, not nearly the defender he was in his prime, now at third. You know, it's and, – and again, too, I think that's, that's obviously – the risk you take when you do run it back and when you don't make sig- significant additions. And again, the giants made additions that have worked for them. Rodon and Peterson have been probably their two best players so far. Mm-hmm. But you know, there was, I think there was probably a wonder during the offseason is, Hey, does this team need to do a little bit more? Like, does this, you know, is, is 107 wins really like something that they feel is like, not necessarily, I don't think I get looked at it as a baseline, but something where it's like, yeah, that's, that's, that's something we can do again. There's not going to be any regression from that. I mean, you kind of have to bake in some regression and, I mean, that's the thing, like overall, this is still like, you know, th- this is still an above 500 team. That's just regression has taken them from what they were last year to what they were to what they were now. And it's it, it, it's I, I don't know how much there is really the Giants could be doing or could have done. But I think this is just the inevitable result of when you have a roster that you didn't really change all that much from one season to the next. And you run into some bad luck, you run into some injuries This is just kind of the the end result. The defense one is one I, I I do struggle to explain or understand. Mm-hmm. Like I, without having watched the Giants on a more regular basis, I can't really say. I know Grant Brisby wrote a column uh, that I believe came out today for the Athletic about you know the Giants last homestand, which was really ugly and really bad, mm-hmm. uh, and just how defensively they just seem to be kind of lost right now. Um, that's a I think that's a good thing to check out if, you're, if you want to go a little more in depth on that, but. Yeah, it's it, it, it. That one is hard to explain. And also, unfortunately, one of those things where it's like, I don't really know how you improve it. You know, if your offense is struggling, OK, go out and get another bat. If your pitching is struggling, sure. go out and get another pitcher, your defense is struggling. What are you going to do? I mean, I, I think if, if you're the Giants and you want to start making changes, I think first first things first, you probably you have to start adding some bullpen pieces, I think, mm-hmm. if you, if you want to get. Uh, if you want to get better there. I think you probably do need to see what is available in terms of maybe uh, some kind of infield addition. I I don't know how that would work, Um, but certainly their infield situation is is just kind of a struggle. I mean, really, this team is being kept alive by its rotation right now. Yes. Um, And that's also a concern because all it takes is one more injury there, and they are really, really going to be in a hard spot. So, Mm. um, yeah, it, it, it is a tough moment right now for San Francisco. There are not a lot of obvious solutions for them right now, and... Yeah, I, I think like you said, too, especially with the Padres. And yeah, you could have ask Padres the same thing. Injuries just destroyed them the second half of last season. Now they're now they're better even without Tatis. And I think you're right mm-hmm. between the Dodgers and the Padres being as strong as they are. Uh, I, I don't really see much of a window for the division for the Giants right now, unless things really radically change. I mean, right now we're looking at uh, what is their what is their divisions uh, set up? They are. Nine and a half games back of first place in the West, five games behind San Diego for second place, two games out of the wild card. Mm. You know I, the wild card, I think, is still very much in play. Um, I don't think that's something that they really have to worry about. But I do think by this point, the the I mean more, I think the NL West is is definitely a a lost cause for them, and they're you know the the good news for them is you know in that wild card chase, they're a game behind Philadelphia and two games or two games behind St. Louis for the final spot and a game behind Philadelphia in that race, two games up on Miami. Like we said with, um, I forget who it was last week, uh, probably one of the AL teams. There's not a whole lot of competition in the back half of the league. You know, the next mm. team behind San Francisco is Miami at four games back in the division. I mean, they are, they are hot right now. They won five in a row, but that's not really going to be, I don't think, they, they have a lot of the same problems I think the Giants do. It's not exactly a, a surging team that we expect to be better and that's now getting better. And then beyond that is Arizona, Colorado, Pittsburgh. Yeah, there's no more competition beyond that. So I guess that's that's the good news, I guess, for San Francisco is, you know, so long as, you know, they can be better than St. Louis and Philadelphia down the stretch, which is certainly not impossible. You know, a playoff spot should be theirs. But uh, I, I, I definitely don't think it's it's something, though, like I said, this, the, what's ailing this team right now does not seem to have an easy or visible solution beyond everyone here just needs to play better.
0: It's also just not a lot of young guys like you look at it like when Jock's your best hitter, like you kind of they're just in a weird spot because clearly they wanted to run it back and see what happened. And, you know, it's not like they they're in a lot of financial holes. There's not a lot of albatross contracts here like Mm -hmm. they're they have some flexibility to pivot and do different stuff. But there's not really anyone ready to go in the
1: pipeline like, no, that's that's just going to this is not a young team. Mm hmm. And, you know, you're looking at guys under 30 who are kind of important players on this roster. Obviously, Bart is 25, but he really yeah. struggled, like I said. Um, Tyro Estrada is 26, but, you know, he's kind of a post-prospect. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luis Gonzalez who has been surprisingly very good for them is 26, but is also hurt right now. Uh, and then you're talking more kind of uh, re- like reserve slash around-the-margins guys like Mauricio Dubon mm-hmm. or uh, I was going to say like... Some of these names down here, I can't even, like Austin Slater, that's not a thing we're trying. Like, yeah. And similarly with the rotation, beyond Logan Webb, I, I forgot to mention Logan Webb, obviously, beyond Carlos Rodon, right. excellent as well. You know, Wood is 31, Alex Cobb is 34, Steve Slafani was 32, Jacob Junis, who's been, who was very good for them, is, uh, but is currently in the injured list, is 29. Like, you're right. There, there are not, those guys have not yet really started to push their way up into the majors. I mean, we've seen a few of them yeah. Sean Jelly, uh, Sam Long. Um, Sammy Long sir Sammy Sammy Sammy
0: Long that man is still gone by Sammy as a grown man and we respect it
1: but I I do think you're right though that there isn't really the, the good news for the Giants is there isn't much in the way of any kind of real albatross stuff they have to worry about in terms of contracts I mean uh, I mean, the albatross
0: sure. is that they don't have the young pipeline that's coming yeah, in. I mean, just, they don't have the young, exciting guys coming up. To well,
1: I think, I, I think if you were to ask Farhan Zaidi, "Hey, Farhan, do, would you do you want to pay Brandon Crawford, Anthony Di Sclafani, Alex <laughs> Wood, Alex Cobb, and Tommy La a combined sixty million dollars next year?" His answer would probably be absolutely the hell not. That is, mm-hmm. you know, that if anything, it's not one guy that's a problem for them. It's those five going forward. Mm. um Discofani Crawford Wood Cobb and Lestella who you know they have a lot of money coming toward them in 2023 I cannot imagine that there is all that much excitement to pay the great majority of them because the, the, those are the problems when I think you when you're paying for like two war production mm. or like one and a half war production which I think is what the majority I mean Discofani I don't think even got to one war this season um and it also like I, I think too like Cobb is a good example of like when you When you like you said, when there is not that pipeline and you are kind of more reliant on, we have to kind of cycle through guys who are available, low cost veterans, waiver wire additions, kind of in the same way Tampa Bay does. And the onus is always on not only do we have to find a way to use our player development system to kind of coach them up, make them better. But we also have to hope that the reason that they were available for cheap, like you said, with with guys like Wood and Disclifani and Cobb, Mm -hmm. particularly for them, it's always been injury stuff that's kept them from from extended bouts of, of Of good production we have to hope that they stay healthy and that just has not panned out at all you know particularly with Cobb but like I mentioned with Disclifani with La Stella with uh, Crawford was already there but you know when you when you have to shop kind of more on the margins you're going to end up with players who the ceiling the floor can be a little lower than you would hope and I think yeah that that is a good point too that this Giants farm system is not really in a place at the moment to produce the kind of immediately available and ready like guys you can just plug in and And supplement all these old guys. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not a good sign when it's like when you're, when you're trading for a guy like Willie Calhoun kind of to do that kind of thing. Cause it's like, Mm -hmm. there's a reason the Rangers got rid of Willie Calhoun and it's because he pretty well can't hit. And he also cannot play a defensive position to save his life. So yeah, it's it's not ideal. It's really not ideal for the giants to be in this position. But I, I think the good news is, you know, this is still a pretty good team, all things considered. And this has already shown itself to be a very, very smart front office that i feel pretty con- i should i think you should feel pretty confident if you are a giants fan that they know how to build a winning team at the very least i think the question now is do they know how to build a team that can consistently not just be a winning team consistently but be a great team consistently and we saw that last year but it's pretty clear that that was not a new baseline for the i don't think anyone expected it to be a new baseline for the giants but it's it's pretty clear that there's there's still a, a step missing for them in terms of being at that kind of dodgers level on the regular
0: Well, I think part of it, too, that's interesting about where they're going to head, I mean, this winter and going forward. And as they continue to balance this fine line between real contention and um, just kind of bottoming it out, like Mm -hmm. the Diamondbacks are not going anywhere. Diamondbacks are playing 500 baseball and they're not doing a teardown. The Rockies Mm -hmm. sign Chris Bryant. Like the Rockies are just they're they're Colorado. Like they're just going to keep throwing stuff at the wall and we'll see what happens. most divisions have at least one team that's tanking, yeah. that's not going for it, and I think for the foreseeable future, all five of these teams are going to be trying to win the NL West. And I, mm-hmm. I just wonder if they're kind of if they're they might be a little bit doomed in a way where the Diamondbacks. I think I believe in their farm system and their ability to bounce back and really, you know, that, get I mean, back that, in that the farm NL West. Proving, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I think I, that's something to consider when you are thinking about the Giants the next couple of years. Is that like. That lack of young talent to supplement this aging roster, it's just I think that's going to cause some problems when you have the Diamondbacks not doing a full rebuild and having, I think, a much better pipeline are already coming through here where I think the Diamondbacks are continuing for the NL West again in two years
1: yeah I and mean, that's a good point like they're one that you're right i don't think there are any so-called easy outs i think in the nl west mm. compared. i mean the, the dimebacks and the and the rockies are not as good obviously as the other three teams in the division but yeah I, I think there's a good question of like you know this is a this is not exactly a, a division that has like it's not the nl the AL central and yeah. as to the prospect side of it you know we in looking at our our over at Fangraphs our giants top prospect list of the top 15 guys um they're Three of only three of them got above advanced a ball last year. <sighs> Heliot Ramos, Joey Bart, and Gregory Santos, who projects to be a reliever. Mm-hmm. You know there are a lot of guys still way way down in that system. We're probably not going to see for another couple years. Um, and and obviously like Marco Luciano is one of the best prospects in baseball and is probably going to you know is the heir to to Brandon Crawford at shortstop, but he's probably still at least another season away, I would guess. Mm-hmm. You no. Know? same with uh, you know if they can same with luis matos in in the outfield same with uh, patrick bailey behind the plate same with well hunter bishop is kind of he's he's just struggled since being drafted but yeah th- there is not a lot of if really any immediate major league ready talent in the system beyond bart and ramos and bart has struggled badly uh, obviously and ramos has not really been consistent enough to get that to get that call either and obviously and also the outfield has been pretty crowded in san francisco um so yeah, it, it'll be really interested to see it'll be really interesting to see how soon San Francisco can start kind of pushing that talent toward the majors, how soon it starts coming toward the majors. Because this really is a team that built itself around its veterans and built itself around its major league signings. And that has not worked for them this year as well as it did last year. And there is no help immediately coming. So to a certain point, like I think, 2023 is going to be a really important year for the Giants in terms of you know when do we start, when can we start making that transition to that next group of kind of hopefully core players in Bart and Ramos and Luciano and and you know whoever else they 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 acquire or draft. Uh, versus, and while they're also kind of uh, sunsetting these veterans, I mean, it, I'll, I'll be very interested to see next year if they keep if they keep Brandon Belt. Uh, I would wager that they probably will try to, but. You know, just an early, another example, like, you know, Posey's already out the door. Belt may follow this offseason. Uh, Crawford only has one more year under contract after this one. Longoria, I believe, has an uh, option for this coming season. Uh, yeah, he has an option for next season, uh, a team option for 13000000 million. It'll be interesting to see if the Giants have any interest in picking that up, considering he'll be 37 next year, you know, they they have a lot of tough decisions coming up uh, in terms of what they kind of what they want to be going forward. And I'll be mm-hmm. really interested to see how they decide to manage all of that.
0: Yeah, and you gotta like wonder if on thing in the back of his mind, like do we sell high on jock? Do we kinda do some stuff where we're happy if we get one of these wildcard spots, but we do sell high on some of these guys. Well I, I don't know who that actually is, but it's like the farm system needs some more bodies. They need more they need more, and I just like Longoria, maybe like, I, I don't know who it is, but you it would not surprise me if they don't tear it down, but they move somebody where they're like, I think we can keep our head above water and really contend for that final playoff spot to the end of the season. But we're going to do something to shed some salary and get off some of these older guys and give more more option to the young guys, uh, quote unquote, young guys that uh, we want to see more of. I would not be surprised if they do some quasi selling at the deadline.
1: I, I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, they might just test, test the water and see, well, what are people looking for? And what do we have in terms of, uh, in terms of, you know, things that are available? I mean, by our playoff odds, they are 40% to make the postseason, which is uh, right behind St. Louis, but right ahead of the Phillies. So I think this would have them as being probably the seventh team in the six team field, which is not ideal. And I think, if anything, it reminds me of where the giants were a few years ago when they had that really, really hot July and everyone was wondering, you know, are they going to break it up going into the deadline? You know, are they really going to trade Madison Bumgarner? And the, and they kind of just sat, they stood pat instead and they made a few moves, but for the most part, they, you know, they hung on to their veterans because I think the feeling too was neither the team nor the fans or neither the players nor the fans will forgive us if we pull the plug early. And I know that there's a way you can say we're selling strategically, but I think in particular, there's a it's very hard to sell both to the players on the team and to your fan base that we are committed to winning. But at the same time, we didn't make any additions to this deadline. You know, I think there are some fans who would probably get and be like, OK, well, what was this team realistically going to do anyway? But that, that's a tricky that's a tricky line for, for Farhan Zaidi and his front office and to navigate is, you know, when you are a team where you're, you know, you're probably the sixth by, by projection, probably the sixth or seventh best team in terms of playoff odds in the, in the NL field. You know, you're looking at maybe the last wild card. You're looking at having to, you know, to play a, a difficult series right off the bat. You're always going to be the road team throughout the throughout the postseason. You know, I, I'm sure there probably is some level of of interest there and in being like, well, why don't we see what we can for, get for the, for the free agent to be pieces we have? Mm-hmm. You start, you know, start trying to build something for next year because this year the odds of us doing anything with it are pretty low. But especially, I think, too, I wonder after how, what happened with the Braves last year, how many front offices also simul- simultaneously believe, hey, it's just a couple tweaks we need to make, and we might be able to get hot enough to pull something off here?
0: The difference with the Giants and the Braves in that is, uh, the Giant or the Braves had Freddie Freeman, and uh, yeah, I mean the Braves, the, Giants,
1: had a, the Braves had a higher level of talent. Yes. on the roster. Yes, um,
0: Jock Peterson for Drew Waters and Adam Duvall. Who says so, that? No. Yeah, I. <laughs>
1: bring jock back to atlanta bring jock back to atlanta that's a, that's a funny thing if you were to say hey jock peterson's available pretty much every contending team in baseball throw their hand up and go yes please what would you what would he cost like a power hitting left-handed outfielder who can handle himself decently in the corners mm. that's useful to pretty much everybody
0: i was <sighs> let's just do a straight up swap i for uh, jock peterson that would that'd be cool um, john yes the White Sox had one of the most hilarious plays this week. That 8-5 triple play. Oh, my God. Um, things are quite bad uh, in Chicago. They're a couple games under five hundred. Um, they're The only reason that they have not just been written off altogether is the AL Central is such a mess yeah. that they just can't go away. And it, we had that joke where their playoff odds went up in May when they <laughs> had just, like the just a terrible month. like, And they were yeah. just... It's really impressive. It's... I just, I think that's got to be the most crushing team to be a fan of this year is the Chicago White Sox. I think that would drive me the most insane being a fan of the White Sox of any Major League Baseball team this year. Like it's,
1: it's bad. I think we, they're cooked. This, this is over. I think being a Mariners or an Angels fan would be similarly frustrating this year. Mm. The Mariners because of how everything finished last year and that it kind of just have such a big wet fart of a start to the season. And the Angels, because it's just become abundantly clear, they will just never be good. Yeah, it's it's never going to happen. It is somehow never going to happen with Mike Trout and Shohei Ohtani, which is mind blowing to me. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, what what if you're a White Sox fan? Has this season been like? What has been fun about this season? What have you enjoyed? Like every week seems to bring one of the most nut punch losses you've (laughs) ever experienced in your life, and you Mm -hmm. just do it all over. That triple play was one of the. I, I don't I don't I, I don't understand how it happened. Like okay, and, and for those who haven't watched, it was, it was first and second with mm-hmm. nobody out. Uh, AJ Pollock. It's a very long drive to deep right center. Mm-hmm. Byron Buxton manages to track it down. It was a great play by him as as he is wont to do. He's probably the best defensive center fielder. You love game. Byron Buxton, man. That's I your will, guy. I will be here forever for my boy Buck. Yuan mm-hmm. um, Moncada on first. Adam Engel on second. Angle, for some reason, apparently thought Buxton had never caught the ball. He was in position to tag up the entire time, but then just Mm -hmm. didn't (laughs) and just started going on to third like everything was normal. Mankata apparently from the second that ball was hit just dropped his head and charged Mm -hmm. to the point where he was only about 10 feet behind Angle at third base by the time that ball came back into the infield. Just a stunning display of of unawareness, of bad fundamentals, of just – whatever you, however you want to call it. Like the, the thing that's going to be is after where they show Tony LaRusso saying the dugout was just kind of like, like looking like someone had just like driven a car into his, into his like front yard and like smashed into his porch, which Mm -hmm. probably would have been Tony, something Tony LaRusso did like to deep cut. It's you just get the sense this team. is just not very well managed. It's not very well coached. There's just a lot of bad fundamentals on display. A lot of the time, like, I don't know what you do if you're the White Sox at this point. There's so much talent here that you have to, like, everyone involved has to be telling themselves constantly, we can't be this bad. Mm-hmm. We have Luis Robert. We have, now they have Eloy Jimenez back. We have Lucas Giolito. We have Lance Lynn. We have Joan Mankata. We have Jose Abreu. We have all these superstars. How can we be this bad? It, it's really something to me. Like, I, I don't know what you're, I, I really don't know what you do if you're the White Sox, because the problems are pretty much everywhere. Your defense is awful. Your bottom of the lineup is complete. You're one of the lowest scoring teams in baseball, despite the fact that you have all those dudes' names I just mentioned. Mm. You have a hole at second base between Lurie Garcia and Josh Harrison. You have Mancada, who's been awful when he's been on the field, and he hasn't been on the field much because he's been hurt so often. You have the outfield has been a, a disaster, both defensively and offensively. And even with Jimenez back, you're going to get an offensive boost, maybe. I mean, Jury's still kind of out on how good actually offensively he is, but he's also defensively a train wreck which means you're either forced to put one of him or Andrew Vaughn in the outfield, which is really not ideal for anybody. Um, You have a rotation that lacks any sort of consistency. You have a bullpen where you have like two trustworthy guys. It feels like, and somehow only one single left-handed reliever, which I I don't understand how the White Sox got to that point. Mm. You have an ancient manager who seems (laughs) desperately out of touch with everything and seems to have no ideas as to how to make anything better. And you have a general manager who, to be entirely honest, the last five years of his tenure have really not shown you a whole lot in terms of, oh, this guy is this guy has the right idea for how to get this thing on track. Mm-hmm. Like to a certain degree, like I'm sure uh, assuming that there's not and it, maybe it's a bad assumption because it's a White Sox at this point, assuming they don't just go completely in the tank in July for whatever reason. Like, if you're a White Sox fan and they get to the deadline and they're still roughly in the same position they're in, about 500, few games out of the, both the Central and the wildcard chase, what exactly should they do with that? Where, where are you targeting if you're the White Sox? Because there are so many problems for you to address, and you don't have a whole lot of means and tools with which to address them. You know, there isn't really a whole lot. There aren't guys coming up from this farm system at this point who I think you can really feel confident about. It's like, oh, this guy, like, we're just waiting for this guy. You know, once this guy's up here, everything's going to change. Everything's going to turn around. It's like, who, who is that guy for the White Sox? Their best prospect on our list is Brian Ramos, who is, I believe, in advanced, in high A or double A right now. You know, mm-hmm. they don't, it's like similar with, with the Giants. They don't really have prospects near the top of the system to help out. It's also a pretty weak system overall by our by our metrics and grading uh ramos is the best prospect in that system and he's his future value grade is 45 plus you know everyone Mm -hmm. beyond that is a 45 and there's a lot of 40 plus and 35 you know for for those unfamiliar with the future value grading system which we use at FanGraphs, anyone in the 35 to 40 range is usually someone you're projecting as kind of a replacement level major leaguer you know utility Mm -hmm. infielder a a middle reliever a reserve outfielder you know there aren't really guys coming in the system immediately or in the future who are going to be of any real help which also means that when it comes time to decide, okay, well, we need to make a trade. We want to go get this. We want to go get that. You don't really have a lot you're working with. Mm. Not only do you not have a lot you're working with, but everything you use to make it better, you are fundamentally weakening that farm system even more. So I, I, really, I really do not know what the, what the White Sox should do at this point. They're kind of stuck. They kind of It, it feels almost similar to the Giants where it's like, hey, if they're going to get out of this mess, it's got to be the guys who are already there. I definitely think there are some additions and tweaks you kind of have to make. You know, you need to do something about second base. You cannot mm. just be rolling out Larry Garcia and 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 uh, Josh Harrison. I mean, granted, the options aren't good. Like, if you, want a, if you want a cheap solution, which is to say you want a free agent to be from a rebuilding team, your choices are Donovan Solano or Cesar Hernandez, which mm. I would love if the White Sox traded for Cesar Hernandez like a fifth time. I feel like he just always keeps ending up back there. Yeah. but. You know, otherwise, I mean, you should probably go out and try to get some kind of left handed relief help. I don't know what that looks like. Um, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily know what the market for that is or what it would cost you. But similarly, like the kind of big moves you feel like you would need to make, they're not really there. And you're not really capable of making them. Also so it also just feels
0: just, bad. Like, I just, I think I would the, just. The vibes, it out. All,
1: the vibes are all wrong with this team. They're. Yeah, so all I, just, I don't.
0: I don't think it's a quick fix. I will say. If like both jobs opened up, the Giants job, like GM job and the White Sox GM job opened up, I think it, the White Sox is still a more appealing job. I mean, and like, maybe. I mean, you're in the AL Central, which is a great place.
1: OK, that, OK, that's, that's what am I saying? Yeah, I, I think you're right that like I. I yeah, but go on.
0: Well, this feels like a Dombrowski special here, where you got to move him over a couple. And he's like a lot of parallels between the White Sox and the Phillies right now. We got to move him over. Has he ever been the
1: GM there? No, but I think with what the White Sox, what you feel with right now is like, okay, so let's look at it this way. If you're the mm White, if you're in charge of the White, let's say Rick Hahn gets let go next season or the offseason and you take over as the White Sox general manager or whoever, Mm -hmm. you are... The good news is, well, the bad news is right off the bat, you have to figure out what to do about Jose Abreu, who is a free agent. Mm. Um, and what you do if, next year. Yeah, which I would guess they will probably let they will probably let him walk so they can just plug Andrew Vaughn in at first base and move yeah. on. But on the other hand, Abreu is a still a great hitter and is very clearly like the emotional core of that team. He's a clubhouse leader. He is super important to everything they do. You know, that's already a really, really tough decision on its own. Uh, You have, as of right now, about one hundred and seventy two million dollars already committed in payroll for next season, Mm. which is only going to go up to a certain degree because or including a team option for Tim Anderson at twelve and a half million dollars. It's still a bargain. And uh, AJ Pollock is almost certainly going to exercise his player option to stick around for ten million (sighs) dollars. Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, You're going to have to give Lucas Giolito a raise in arbitration. Mm -hmm. we're going to have to figure out some way to add bodies to the outfield, particularly right field, which the White Sox have just decided is never going to be a thing they (laughs) care about. Mm -hmm. Need to get some additional bullpen help um, just going forward, if only because, you know, bullpen arms just wane and wax and you're always going to need help there. You have to try to figure out how to make this team better defensively. You have to try to figure out what on earth has gone wrong with you on Mankata and whether or not there is, you know, still fundamentally something there. I mean, the good news, again, is here's your core. Jimenez is 25. Mankata is 27. Robert is 24. Uh, Anderson is 29. Giolito is 27. You know, there, there are still there are young guys here you can build around for sure. But it's also starting to look like you have a lot of things you got to figure out. Next. And that's just to keep the core of an underperforming bad team together. Mm-hmm. Is all that work needs to be done just to keep the current White Sox together, much less improve on the current White Sox. And how exactly are you going to do that? You owe 18 million dollars to Yasmani Grandal next year. Moncada is owed 18 million dollars. Liam Hendricks is owed 14 million. Lance Lynn is owned almost night owed almost 19 million dollars. You have a lot of money already committed to these guys mm-hmm. and you're going to lose arguably your best bat in free agency more likely than not. Even if you do get to replace him with Adam with uh, Aaron. Adam, Aaron, Andrew Vaughn Mm -hmm. (laughs) out there on the third try. Like there are a lot of problems with this team, and you can also look at your farm system and go, "Well, that's not going to be of any help, any really, really, anytime soon." Maybe a couple of those guys trickle up in twenty twenty three. I mean, you know, maybe you are looking at a, a, you know, at a at Lennon Sosa playing a bigger role, a Jimmy Lambert playing a bigger role at. Uh, Romy Gonzalez, maybe being a you know maybe somewhere in between that Romy Gonzalez, or Jose Rodriguez, a couple of those guys in the middle infield, maybe you can look to those guys to be maybe some kind of help at second base, which also is going to be a, pro- a an extent problem next year. Mm. I don't know, man. This this White Sox, it really feels like they need to they need to start over in some in some capacity or another. Like it, it really does feel like they the the team that has been built to this point just doesn't work. Yeah, and. You don't have a lot of flexibility going forward to make it work. Like I said, you were locked into a lot of money at a lot of positions. Problematically, too, like Grandal, again, 18 million next year. He's going to be 34. Hendricks, 14 million next year. He's going to be 34. Pollock, 10 million next year. If he picks up his option, he's going to be 35. Uh, If you re-sign Abreu, it's at age 36. Lance Leonard, age 36, will be making $19 million. Like Joe Kelly at 35 will be making $9 million. Like Mm. You have a lot of money tied up to guys you do not want to tie it up in. And you don't have a lot of flexibility to fix the roster. And that, because also it's like if you're going to try to move someone to improve this roster. Is it Jimenez? Is it is it like do you really like is the solution here really making yourself to a certain degree? Like what is it? Is it trying to see if anyone is interested in Mankata? Maybe that's just a change of scenery thing there. Yeah,
0: Mankata. I, I think Mankata the one.
1: Is. Do you do you see if anyone's interested in one more year of Lance Lynn, um, and just trying to kind of try to move on from there? Especially considering that you know, you know, Texas is all in. <laughs> so just get him back and refix him, and yeah, like
0: yeah, done deal. Like yeah, back to the the Texas but, starting uh, rotation uh, rehab therapy. But that's the thing. There are there.
1: really very few kind of viable options here like yeah. in terms of what you can do to make this team better. Like, the, I mean, really but I still think there's like, so much underproduction you have to figure out too. And like, why is this gone wrong? Like, why is this not working the way it should?
0: I just think because the AL central, because the twins are still like Correa's probably gone next year. And they're, this feels like a another year where they're, they're really going for it. Buxton's healthy. Like let's fingers crossed that remains like, um, I don't know. I think there's just reason for optimism of like a, like, it's, like you said, there's still enough where I don't think they can fix everything in one offseason and there's just something wrong. But mm-hmm. I still think with this division, with the teams around them, with the young talent they still have, and the rotation, like with the rotation healthy being what it is, like there's a path back to being the favorites in the AL Central next year and being a playoff team. And if I'm a White Sox fan, I'm terrified of like after years of in years and years of Reinsdorf not spending and the White Sox being in this rebuild purgatory type deal mm-hmm. I kind of want to be like all right uh I think that this might be another 10 years of us not trying if we break this down yeah, now I mean, like
1: that, that's kind of thing like how much do you trust Jerry Reinsdorf to make the right decision I mean, yeah like, like last I don't know last if I was to hire a a geriatric drunk
0: that's what I'm saying like I just don't if you're a White Sox fan, like, that's what I would be most concerned about is I don't think I want him doing another rebuild well, that, because.
1: Yeah, that's my thing. If I'm the White Sox, I have no faith in any level of leadership right now, not in the mm-hmm. owner, not in the front office and not in the manager to a point where I, I, if I'm a White Sox fan, I want a clean house next year. Yeah. I, I, Ryan's obviously is not going anywhere. But I want a new general manager and I want a new manager because I, I at this point, it's like you also want someone with just d- a different ideas, with mm-hmm. new ideas, with a different viewpoint, with a, an ability to look at this roster and go, here's what's working here. Here's what isn't without that attachment that I think is un- understandable that Rick Hahn would have. of Like he built this every piece of this roster is his is his doing at this point. You know, there are very few, if any, pieces left over from the pre Rick Hahn era. Um, so I, I, I that's kind of thing. It's like you're the guy who built this mess. Do we really trust that you're the guy who can clean it up? Because, like, and again, like, this, this is not necessarily something where, you know, like, this team in, coming into the, into the season, I, I think you and I were both skeptical of how good they could be because we certainly saw last year that, you know, for as good as the White Sox were, they fell apart in the postseason and really were just not any good against winning teams. But I think you and I both felt like, but this is still the AL Central. This team still has a ton of talent on it. There's no reason this team should be bad or anything close to bad.
0: I mean, there's a the case that the Orioles played in the AL Central, they're
1: ahead of the White Sox right now. Maybe. I think they, I, I think yeah, the White Sox was... might be the worst team in the AL East. That'd be a fun. That'd be a fun conversation, or fun, right? Like, like we just flip them experiment. and see what yeah. the
0: Orioles look like in the AL Central and playing an AL Central schedule this year.
1: But but I do think that like that's that's kind of the thing. It's like if, if you're if you're a White Sox fan, you look at the roster Rick Hahn built and how badly it's underperforming, and it's like, why should I trust you to figure out what's wrong and how to fix it? You're yeah. the one who built this mess in the first place. Like, you're you're the one who doesn't apparently understand that, like, you need a right fielder or you can't just have Josh Harrison be your second baseman or, hey, maybe signing more relievers beyond Kendall Graben and Joe Kelly is a good idea, you know, or hurt from the
0: Craig Kimbrell debacle.
1: Yeah. And I or even just the way that was all managed, you gave up a top five draft pick and Nick Madrigal, who granted is not does not really seem like he's going to be a long term professional baseball player just because he's, he's clearly just not good enough a hitter. Yeah. But if the end result was two months of a closer that you paid a lot of money for that you who th- you then had to Im- flip immediately for an old right-handed outfield bat who is going to hamstring you financially next year, that's not good process. That's really yeah. not good process. Like you should not turn Nick Madrigal into 36 into 35-year-old AJ Pollock's 2023 season. That's Who's really the next bad. version
0: of this by the way? Like they had Adam Eaton, now AJ Pollock. Who's the next <laughs> old expensive outfielder yeah, that's a so white outfielder let, let me, I, i'm add. genuinely
1: curious about this i now want to see uh who the free agent outfielders are um just so i can pick one they have was, an appetite really, for this they
0: love an overpriced injury
1: prone older white yeah. outfielder that's their jam. uh aj pollock <laughs> <laughs> i could see i could see michael brantley i really could see michael okay. brantley who's still a great hitter now but i was it's just, say we don't want a very good hitter but not no i don't want that for michael brantley michael brantley's great He's not good defensively, so that's I think why I could see it is the White Sox be like, no, it's fine. He can he can handle himself <laughs> out there, and everyone's gonna be like, no, he can't. He really yeah. cannot handle himself out there. Um, gee, I'm just looking at the list of free agents to be. Adam Duvall would be extremely funny. That
0: is that's the
1: answer. It's that's Adam Duvall. A lot I just of White Sox yes. to it. That, that has so a much lot of very White powerful White Sox energy to it. Um, but that's mm-hmm. the other thing. Like if you look at the trade market, like even if you say, like, okay, like can they add some outfield help? It's like, well. Andrew Benintendi or David Peralta is probably your best bet. That's not really fixing much. Like
0: <laughs> that's the thing is, like, they're like the teams that we wonder, it's like, oh, what can they do? It's like, well, you can't really fix this. Like, you can't really no. fix the Giants. At the no, deadline. there's, there's you can't not really fix not, the Rays
1: or they're just no, kind of it. There's not one player reasonably available who you could add to the White Sox who undoes all this mess. Yeah, or who makes it better. You know, th- their problem is t- is is team wide. Like I said, their problem is they have bad defense in a bunch of positions. They have no bullpen depth. They have a lot of really injury-prone hitters who are, for some reason, there's a really righty-heavy lineup, which is probably mm. not great. So you definitely want some more balance in there. And part of the problem, too, is that, like, your two, – or two of your uh, most important other side bats. One is one is Mankata, uh, who's a switch hitter. Like I said, has just been absolutely terrible. And the other is um, – the other is Lurie Garcia, who is not – a fundamental part of this at all mm. and like granted like that's with uh grandal on the injured list is another switch hitter but there's not a lot of lefty heft in this lineup either this just doesn't feel like a particularly. this just does not feel like a balanced team this does not feel like a well-constructed team it doesn't feel like a balanced team it doesn't feel like a team that has any sort of kind of ability to unless the bats all wake up collectively and the rotation keeps doing its good thing like this is not a team you really see running off a long winning streak because they're just too flawed at too many important places for that to be the case, you know. You, you you it's especially I think true for a team that's bad defensively to be able to do that. You know, you're 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 really asking a lot for a bad defensive team to be able to pull off wins on the regular. Or a team that struggles to hit right-handers as badly as they do.
0: I would agree. I would agree. Um John quickly. Uh yes. this was something funny that I saw. I think this uh came speaking to Craig Calcaterra, great newsletter, go subscribe Cup of Coffee on Subsec today. He had this that I wanted those. This was just amazing. So he pulled this from Lone Star Ball, uh, Texas Rangers blog. And he said, and they said, quote, Rangers are now four and 15 in one run games. Eight of those 15 losses are in Dane Dunning starts. The Rangers have lost the last nine games. Dunning has started six of them by one run. Dunning has a 4.39 ERA in those nine games and has allowed an average of three runs per game what a weird baseball stat like
1: what, yeah what a what a weird team right now generally they're just the rangers like they so, could be a playoff team they i mean they could be they're they're only they're only a few games out of the wild card race yeah like, and win loss they should be a little above 500 um but it's just so weird like you when do you see them the, the range? like the, the players the rangers just have where you're like <sighs> so all of a sudden it's like matt moore is a thing again hold on john we've been Seriously, on this for matt years
0: moore. yeah well hold on john we've been on this the Rangers, what do they do? What do the Rangers
1: do? Yeah, Matt Moore? I know, I know. Uh, Look, I know Martin Perez. I mean, the, yeah. you don't have to go beyond that. Like Tim like, Lincecum, somewhere in that uh, in that building. He's somewhere so, working on it. This is just such a weird and unbalanced team right now with just these visible gaping holes in their roster. But at the same time, they also have like Jonah Heim with a 128 OPS plus. Mm-hmm. You know, and Adolis Garcia being like the second coming of Tony Bautista. Like, it's, it's so strange. And it's like, this is, I think this... Might be one of the more fascinating off-season teams for me for a variety of reasons. Obviously, one is that as we saw last year, they are not afraid to spend if the if the price is right. Mm-hmm. You know, in what they got for, in how much they spent on Seeger and Semyon, and I think the jury's kind of still out on how well that's going to work. In particular, given Semyon, but hey, there's still you know there's still a uh, there's still a lot of time to go. The second part of it is they they have a really really fascinating farm system. Uh, Josh Young, who unfortunately has missed this the has missed this season because of a shoulder injury, but. Obviously, Jack Leiter, uh, Al Leiter's kid, who should be up. I probably will be up at some point next season. Mm. Uh, they have a lot of great, other great pitching prospects: Cole Wynn, Owen White. Uh, you know, we've seen Glenn Otto take his lumps, but there's, there's, I think better there. Ezekiel Duran, who's had a cup of coffee this year and has been very, has been solid. Josh Smith, same deal. Like you're starting to see that farm system graduate guys, and you're starting to see kind of the beginnings of, okay, hey, this might be the next good Texas team. Yeah. The question is, like, okay, what do you do in the offseason to, to kind of bolster that? Because you can look around and be like, okay, third base is a mess right now. Like, maybe we give that to Duran and Smith next year and just kind of sink or swim with them because we have to start figuring out if these guys can actually be what they need. What we need them to be. But, like, left field, like, Brad Miller is this team's regular left fielder right now. That's not ideal. You know, mm-hmm. there, there, are, there are visible, obvious, easy places for this team to improve. Um, the outfield, in particular, I think is one where I, I think. Well, we'll I, I would not be surprised if this is a team. You know, it'd be very cool if they make a big, big push for Aaron Judge. Oh, I would love to see that. I can it's, see that, though. Truthfully, A I,
0: Rod today said uh, it's 50-50. He's back in New York.
1: I. That's that's fascinating. I would love to know what a- who, who, who who or what A Rod knows here, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, I mean, because you, you look at the rest of what's going to be available in the outfield market. And granted, like the, you're never going to get like a young super stud, but like Judge is far and away the best option available in terms of outfielders for, mm. for the free coming free agent period. You know, but maybe it's also just a, something as simple as, hey, what about Brandon Nimmo? You know, would that make sense as a guy who can just be kind of a, a one ten to one twenty WRC plus bat with decent, uh, with a great on base percentage, good walk rate, you know, easy guy to stick at the top of the lineup and be in front of Semyon and Seager um you know hold down center field defensively I mean granted I, they, this team probably wants to see what Leody Tavares can do there if only because he's one of those guys who like Pache if he can just maintain any semblance of league average offense he is an above average player because he's so good defensively mm. but you know I I think there is room and similarly pitching wise you know I think we you know the the big pitching addition they made last offseason was John Grant John Gray's fine you know he's a he's a very good middle of the rotation starter to have and he's been pretty solid for them this year when he's been healthy but that's mm-hmm. another thing where it's like you got lighter coming, you've got some other guys possibly potentially coming, you've got whoever um, whoever you pick this summer. I don't I don't on the top of my head know what pick the draft draft pick the Rangers have, but I assume it's top fifteen, mm-hmm. um, if not top ten. Like, you know, what is there, you know, do you want to go out and make a big money addition for a starting pitcher as well, like to start anchoring that rotation? Because right now you don't have that anchor, you know, Martin Perez is not a guy you can necessarily count on. Like, is this something where you, you know, you go to, low, to native techs and Nate Uvalde and say, hey, big money offer. Like, this is the last big money deal. Like, do you try do you try to woo Clayton Kershaw again? You know, do you is, is something like is someone like Chris Bassett kind of appealing? Do you make a big money offer for Joe Musgrove if you if he's willing to leave? San Diego? Like the pitching market has some options there if they want like a number one type guy between Uvalde, Kershaw, uh, Sean Onea, Chris Bassett, Joe Musgrove. Uh, there are there are options in there, and then of course there are all the kinds of like low cost like Texas guys. You could like, you could easily see this team picking up like Michael Pineda next year, mm. or or taking a flyer on Mike Clevenger, or or bringing in like to Rizzi or someone like that. Like there there are there are holes on this roster that are you can already see right now are problems, and that's that's not even getting into the bullpen though. The, the bullpen's been pretty solid, and I think it's a lot easier to deal with that, especially given how many. Kind of failed pitching prospects they've had over the last years, they can just turn into relievers. Um, they
0: should just give up on that. Like, you're, you just stop developing, just become starting pitcher rehab and just, in, <laughs> like, that's, that's all you got to do. But just don't get them that late, like, where it's just over. Like, you only get a couple years of them. Just get, uh, buy, buy low on, uh, just a former, Former top so. uh, top twenty guy.
1: I think I think too. If you're Texas, what what is really good to see is like some of the guys who are like performing super well, like Jonah Heim, um Brock Burke. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, to a certain degree, Adolus Garcia is still only twenty nine. Like these are both young guys and cheap guys. You know, these mm-hmm. these are the cost controlled pieces. You I think if there's a, a plus of this, I mean, it's been an up and down season for Texas, and I, I don't think they're a playoff team ultimately. But there's been some good developments in terms of, hey, Jonah Heim and Nathaniel Lowe look like they're guys we can actually use going forward. You know, they, they look the part of major leaguers. They're going to be cost controlled for a while. They're producing above average uh, on the field. You know, same with a guy like Brock Burke. Same with a guy like Dennis Santana. Same with a guy like uh, Adolis while he's still while he's still cheap, you know. Mm-hmm. And like, again, you've got lighter coming. You've got Duran and Smith already up. You're you're going to get, you know, that farm system is very strong. is going to keep producing uh, quality players, I think. I, I, I think I think Texas, and, and that's and that's without even mentioning, again, Josh Young, who missed this season, but hopefully should be healthy and ready to go next year. And probably, you know, if he if he hits well next year, he's probably going to be a guy they call up midseason. There's a lot, I think, to like about Texas and what they're doing. It's just a matter of, you know, can they supplement and complement that core properly? Yeah, I think they're in a good
0: spot. And good for them. Uh, Texas Rangers fans have been going through it for almost a decade now. Yeah. Um, so good for them. We'll end on this, John. I think this is a humongous month for the uh New York Mets the Braves mm-hmm. obviously crush it in June very easy schedule for the most part but that's what you do you take advantage mm-hmm. and just like that they're back within striking distance of being just atop the de- NL East at the end of July mm-hmm. however Max Scherzer's back future Atlanta Braves starting pitcher Jacob DeGrom is back and you know there's a really good case that this is the month where they need to strike back like if you're back and you're real New York like if you're real and you're ready to take the throne from Atlanta I feel like July is it like this is setting up for a big big July for the Mets uh, good piece in fangrass about it today but what do you think about the Mets July is this a big big month and that you would expect yeah, no, it's, them to it's, bounce back
1: it's it's a huge month for them because like you said Atlanta has made it a race again in the division our our playoff mm-hmm. odds now have it as the Mets 57 percent win the division the Braves just shy of 41 percent Projected mm. wins: Mets ninety five, Braves ninety four. Yeah, it's it's it is. This is going to come down to the wire, I think. Um, Did play as them gets.
0: last? I wish we played them last.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, if you're the if you're the Mets, one thing you you can take solace in is the Braves have the toughest schedule left of any NL East team. A uh, rest of mm. rest of season win percentage of five seventy seven projected. Uh, Mets are Mets are granted five fifty three. Is not that much easier for them. But they've the nice thing about having that 10 game lead or 11 game lead, even though it's not there anymore as much is that gave them a lot of cushion for a month like June, which wasn't Mm -hmm. a terrible month. I mean, they still went 13 and 12. They were still five a little above 500 Just the Braves were so hot that that's obviously made the difference. But they still do have that cushion. Those three and a half games are still, you know, massive right now. You know, the nice thing is the Mets could lose a three game series to the Braves tomorrow and they're still in first place if that happens. Well, you
0: mentioned that the Braves get the Mets at home next week.
1: That's going to be huge. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Situation. Yeah. Um, I I think if you're the Mets right now, obviously you know the 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 not only this coming month of Ju- not only this month of July, but also the rest of the season is going to hinge on how Max Scherzer looks and whether or not Jacob Degrom can come back healthy. That is really the biggest thing right now. You need those two in that rotation. That rotation is. Uh, I mean, Chris Bassett's only down only right now because of COVID. Walker's but, been great though. Uh, Walker's been great. Tyler McGill has been good when he's been healthy, and hopefully will return at some point. Carlos Carrasco mm. has been pretty good. But you, you, this team is going to run is going to go as far as Scherzer and Degrom will carry them, because the other side of it is there's you know the, you look at the Mets bench. There's not really a whole lot of depth there. You know they're currently in Eduardo Escobar or Eduardo Escobar third, Luis Guillorme at second, which I I, I can't imagine is too anyone feels too great about. I, I don't really know if there's an option or ability for the Mets kind of to, to do anything really there. Um, I mean, or I guess they probably put Jeff McNeil back at at, at second base over Giorme right now. Now that he's uh back and healthy although McNeil has been kind of struggling with leg injuries the last month or so Mm. it's and that's the other thing it's like for as much as like we can focus on DeGrom and Scherzer it's like the offense has really been kind of an issue for the Mets they have not really hit much in the month of June Um, and I I don't really know again what the solution is there because you're trying to figure okay well it's like let's say you you do want like a you know let's say you, you do want to try to upgrade from Escobar at third base you know is there is there a a reasonable, viable option out there on the trade market? You know, if you're looking for a guy you can acquire and who maybe won't, you know, cost you too much? Not really right now. No. The third base market, if you're looking at free agents to be, is pretty, pretty bad. You know, if you're looking at guys who, you know, maybe will be more than like a just a summer rental, you're looking maybe at this. I mean, do you really want to see what Justin Turner or Josh Donaldson's gonna do for you down the stretch? Okay. Ah, that's just not ideal. Um they're going to do something, though. Like, they're going to... I mean, I, I, I think they have to. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do I do definitely think that... Um, I, I do definitely think that, like I said, Scherzer... They will go as far as Scherzer and DeGrom can carry them, both in the regular season and in the postseason. I do think that there's probably some room to make some additions and to add some help. Uh, I would imagine left-handed relief help would be big on that list uh, for the Mets, given that they just got rid of Chase and Shreve uh joely rodriguez has really not been very good for them so far i think that's uh, definitely an avenue they should choose to explore is try to figure out what the good left-handed relief options are out there mm. um, i would not be surprised to see them try to maybe do something about catcher which has just been kind of a mess i don't really know what that is is it promoting francisco alvarez that's really aggressive he just got the AAA. he's only 20 years old like that is such a huge huge jump especially for a young catcher to make Yeah, Um, But that has really been a problem spot for them. Escobar has been very up and down at third. You know, McNeil has been on and off. Uh, Like I said, the bench depth is not really very strong. I mean, they just added Ender and Ciarte, which is never a good sign as to, you know, what your outfield state of your outfield depth is when Ender and Ciarte becomes a realistic option. Mm -hmm. Um, The collapse and, and demise of Dom Smith has really hurt them in that regard, robbing them of a very good lefty bat who can play the corners. I mean, I don't know exactly what the Mets will choose to do. Some of it's just going to depend on how they feel about. Or a lot of it's going to depend too, I think, just how they go through the first chunk of July. I mean, I, how many times do they play the Braves this month? Uh,
0: twice.
1: Wait, what do you I mean? mean, like I mean, series or games? Uh, either or both. I think they play. Uh, do they play? I'm the... looking. I'm looking it up now, just I, I I want to know because I thought we had it twice. I thought
0: there important. were two series
1: this month. So, and and this is the thing. Like here, here's the month of July for the Mets so or, or sorry i was looking at august okay uh, so
0: yeah the beginning of august okay so i thought it was the end of july so yeah we get them they, twice. they've
1: got a series they're wrapping up a series against cincinnati on on wednesday if they if assuming they get today's game in then they mm-hmm. got four games against the the hard charging marlins three at atlanta uh three at chicago four at chicago before the all-star break and then three against the three against the padres and two against the Yankees at Whew. home before the end of the month, and then they get at Miami, at Washington, six games. But then here's, here's the really big one that I think is going to is gonna be. Five games against the Braves <sighs> from August 4th through 7th, including a doubleheader on the 6th here in New York. They might decide the division. He, the stretch that's really, really going to decide it for the Mets is from the 12th through the 23rd. Three yeah. games against the Phillies at home, four against the Braves in Atlanta, three four against the Phillies in Philadelphia, two against the Yankees in Yankee Stadium. That is the make or break portion of their schedule right there. Is that we play them
0: so much because we just did not play the Mets at all. Like They were not on the no, calendar. It's, it's,
1: it's really weirdly backloaded. From here yes. until the end of July, the Mets and Braves will play each other <laughs> 12 times.
0: That's insane.
1: Or until the end of August, rather. They'll play mm-hmm. each other 12 times in the next six or so weeks. That's a That's lot. Insane. And then they don't play each other again until a three-game series. Um, it's not the last series of the year. It's the second to last series for them the end of September and then the first two days of October again. Yeah. So those, those 12 games against Atlanta will almost certainly decide the division between here and the end of August. And it'll be, I'll be really curious to see what the Braves or what the Mets decide to do in that period. Cause that, that stretch in July is not that is not that tough. I mean, again, it's balanced out, you know, you've got at Atlanta and against the Padres and the Yankees, but you've also got the Marlins and the Cubs in there. We're both um, obviously weaker teams. And then the the gift that is the beginning of uh, beginning of August being uh, three games against the Marlins and three games against the Nationals, all at home, right around the deadline. Before you get off, you kick off that really big hard stretch with uh, that five game series against the Braves, and broken up by a few games against the Reds, and then back into that huge twelve game stretch again. Mm. So, yeah, I, I, like I said, I, I think it I think it is a lot of it is how far Scherzer and Degrom will take them. I think, and beyond that, it's just a matter of. I think adding the pieces around it, because I, I don't think that they're going to be able to open that kind of big lead again. It does not mm-hmm. really seem like, you know, they were able to take advantage of it to open up that big lead at the time. And that obviously gave them a big cushion and a, and a lot of runway. But I, I don't see this Atlanta team collapsing from this point forward, especially because and, and I know we're not we haven't talked about it, but it's also like Atlanta is going to do something at the deadline too, almost certainly. You know, they're they're yeah. not going to let that go by without doing something. But similar, and do similar you have
0: to when players. you have Michael Harris who, when he's in the lineup, the Braves are 25-10? and 10?
1: Well, there you go. That's just a matter of cloning Michael Harris then.
0: Yeah. Michael Harris is right the third, just give Michael him the, Harris
1: lineup. the fourth, Michael Harris the fifth.
0: I hope they don't get greedy and move him up. I think he's really comfortable at the ninth spot. I hope they don't do that. I, hope I, I, do, I do, do think there's, there. a,
1: there's an element to some teams liking kind of like that two leadoff hitter thing. Yeah. Like the guy number nine is your other leadoff hitter who gets in mm. of your... Who is hitting leadoff for the Braves? Is it Cunha?
0: I mean, it's still a Cunha, yeah, yeah. When he's in the I, lineup.
1: Yeah, that's and I think that's good, especially in a guy with Harris who makes contact, who can run the bases well, who can steal bases mm-hmm. as well. You know, you have a guy on, usually for Acuna, who is capable of putting himself in the scoring position pretty easily. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm that's going to be a fascinating race. Like, the NL East is probably going to be the best division race to watch going down the stretch, aside from, aside from otherwise the NL West, I would guess, uh, between the Dodgers and the Padres going forward. But, yeah. I mean, given how... I'm, I'm not terribly interested in how the AL Central goes, although Cleveland just constantly walking the... No
0: one's interested in the AL Central. Central. Throw that out. The, I guess it's maybe if the AL East, if, like, the Blue Jays go a little bit more scorched earth. The AL East and, is
1: over. It's completely yeah. over. The The Red Sox... Well, are I mean, the Astros place. is over. The Red Sox are in know. second place, and they are 13 games out of first. That's probably... So, yeah, right? Similarly, the, the Mariners are in second place in the West, and they're 13 and a half games out. Those two divisions yeah. are completely done. It's just a matter of which of those two teams, the Yankees or the Astros, will get the number one seed. But um definitely the i think of the of the competitive division still left the actually all three nl divisions are within five games and then the al central and East is definitely the one i'm most interested to watch down the stretch especially because uh the the sheer chaos power of the phillies can mm-hmm. never be underestimated just how goofy that team can make any division race because you know the phillies will have before the season is over at least one 10 game winning streak and at least one 10 game losing streak as the phillies must do at all times
0: There you go. John Taylor, Fangraphs.com. Go subscribe today if you have not already done so. This is a Fangraphs-friendly podcast. We love Fangraphs. Mm -hmm. Over there, John, what can the good folks check out this week and all that good
1: stuff? Uh, Midseason Zips updates from Dan Zimborski. Dan's going to kill me for that. Um, (laughs) Where he uses the power of Zips to give an update on how how the AL and NLR are doing, how things stack up playoff race-wise, where teams are struggling, where teams could use some help uh justin choi will have a piece tomorrow about the most and least consistent hitters which should be very very interesting jay i'll have something on the red Sox as well and we now have just one team left on our prospect list for 2020 or two teams left sorry for our prospect list we just put out the nationals today uh their top 29 prospects spoiler alert it is the worst farm system in baseball not a whole lot of good stuff going on there uh still the astros and mets left but if you have it if you've missed any of those or if you want to get caught up uh, check them out on our website. We've got 28 of 30 down, just two to go. Obviously, at some point, too, we will have a midseason uh, top 100 update on our board. Eric will do his prospect magic and take a look around the the prospect league and see uh, who's flying high, who's kind of struggling, and what we can kind of expect for the back half of the season. So, yeah, check, out, check us out at Fangrass. We've got lots of cool stuff, as always.
0: There we go. Go do it. If you've not already done so, it's great stuff. Fangraphs.com. Subscribe today john today. taylor always a pleasure and i will talk to you next week all right y'all that'll do it for the wednesday july 6 2022 edition here on the chase Us podcast here at the blue wire pod network hope you guys enjoyed uh, the two-part program here today on the chase Us podcast i greatly enjoyed uh, being able to do this very podcast so hope you guys enjoyed it as well And as always, thanks for making the Chase Thomas podcast part of your daily listen. Uh, Wherever and however that is the case, I greatly appreciate you sticking around and being a subscriber and a consistent listener to the Chase Thomas podcast. And if today was your first time, hey, awesome. Great to have you. Uh, Please make sure, though, that uh, you subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or however you get your podcast so that you get access to all my episodes and all my daily content every single day here on the Chase Thomas podcast and Blue R Pod Network. Uh, All right, that'll do it. Uh, Three-parter coming up tomorrow, so watch out for that. But uh, as always, thank you guys, and I'll talk to you very soon. Uncle Derek, how'd I do?
1: Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast, hell yeah.